Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The morning sun cast a golden hue across our Native American reservation as I stood beside Chief Running Elk, the wise and revered leader of our tribe. The air was heavy with a sense of unease, for we had just discovered the lifeless body of a fellow member of our community. The chief's weathered face displayed a mix of concern and determination, his eyes scanning the surrounding area as if searching for answers in the wind itself. As the days passed, Strange occurrences began to unfold in our remote reservation. I, Maya, a young tribal member with a deep connection to the land, found myself at the center of this growing unrest. Whispers echoed through the dense forest, secrets whispered by unseen voices. Shadows danced between the ancient trees, and an unshakable feeling of dread clung to the air. It was during one moonlit night that the true extent of the horror was revealed. I returned from a solitary walk through the woods to find half of our tribe gone, their lives extinguished by an unseen force. Fear gripped my heart as I sought guidance from Chief Running Elk, who stood firm amidst the chaos. His voice 
filled with sorrow and ancient wisdom, warned me of a curse that had befallen our tribe. In the depths of our tribe's ancient folklore I sought answers. Legends spoke of a predatory creature that lurked in the shadows, preying on those who dared trespass into its domain. It was a ghostly entity, a malevolent force that had taken hold of our land. With the guidance of Chief Running Elk, I began to unravel the intricacies of our tribal customs and rituals, determined to confront this ancient evil. Together, we delved deep into the heart of the forest, guided by the flickering glow of a sacred fire. Armed with the knowledge passed down through generations, we called upon the spirits of our ancestors. The night was alive with the sounds of ancient chants, and the air crackled with energy. As the rhythmic beat of drums filled the night, the malevolent entity materialized before us. Its form was ethereal and twisted, a grotesque reflection of the darkness that had consumed our tribe. With a ritual knife in hand, I stepped forward, my heart pounding with a mixture of fear and determination. Drawing upon the strength of our ancestors, I lunged forward, plunging the knife deep into the creature's spectral form. A bone-chilling cry echoed through the woods as the entity dissolved into nothingness. The malevolent force that had plagued our land was finally vanquished. The remaining members of our tribe emerged from the shadows, their eyes filled with hope and gratitude. As dawn broke over the reservation, we stood united, knowing that we had confronted the ancient evil that had sought to destroy us. Chief Running Elk's weathered face bore a sense of relief, a burden lifted from his shoulders. In that moment, I understood the power of our traditions, the strength of our unity, and the unwavering spirit of our tribe. We had faced the darkness and emerged victorious, bound together by our shared heritage and the resilience of our people. Bob and I drove up and attempted to locate the Malala River site. I mistakenly thought it was before the Horse Creek turnoff, so we didn't find it. We instead found an area which we thought was the location, a small road which was closed off recently by a large dirt pile. There were people everywhere, so we decided to drive up Horse Creek Road in order to find a remote location to camp. We drove about three, four miles up Horse Creek Road and ended up on a brushy tertiary road. It was a beautiful setting. The road was bordered by deciduous trees and our campsite was parked, like under huge old-growth timber. Above us was a clear cut full of thistles. We picked up two plastic grocery bags worth of garbage. I was cursing the previous campers the entire time and made camp. After a dinner of boiled hot dogs on the Coleman burner, fire season is in effect. We made coffee and sat back in our chairs to drink it. It was about 8.15, still very light out. A loud but somewhat distant roar came from east of camp from about one-fourth mile away. Within a minute's time, it was answered by another roar from west of camp, right above us in the clear cut. The roars were deep, gravelly, and powerful. The first was slightly higher pitched than the first, and slightly longer in duration. Bob and I grabbed our coffee and bolted for the jeep on the second one. It was loud and close. We sat in the jeep with the windows down, drinking our coffee and waiting for another sound. We heard nothing. 
No branches breaking, no answering calls, nothing. I had the camcorder recording by now, but had already missed the action. We were concerned that it might be bears and debated whether to stay or go. We decided to stay. I thought it was unlikely that a bear would bother us if it hadn't already, and if it was a big guy, all the better. Nonetheless, I spent a very sleepless night in the tent. During the night, we heard a few branches breaking, but nothing very telling. The following morning, two bear hunters came by on quad runners. We told them of the sounds we'd heard. One of the hunters was of the opinion that we had somehow gotten between a sow bear and her cub. I inquired if he'd heard anything about Bigfoot sightings in the area. He chuckled and said that, although he didn't disbelieve in Bigfoot, he hadn't heard anything about Bigfoot in that area. We thanked them, and they left. I walked up in the clear-cut area that the second beeper roar came from and found no footprints. Although the ground was soft and the dirt was bare, we decided, after packing up camp, to drive farther down the road towards Copper Creek. On a hunch, we pulled into a camping area on the right, and lo and behold, it was the elusive Malala site. I recognized the trees from Steve and Teresa's photo. We made lunch and hung around for a bit. All the campers had left, and we had the spot to ourselves. Bob pointed out the ridge across the valley. It was our camp spot. We were almost directly across the river from this spot the night before. We continued on down the road, trying to find Copper Creek. No luck. The map was not at all clear. Never buy a Pitman's map. They're black and white and hand-drawn, which makes it impossible for even a veteran map reader like me to distinguish between the roads and the rivers. And the road that we thought might be Copper Creek Road was gated off. We gave up, though I was very intrigued by the gravel pit camp spot described in the track record where the campers had witnesses small lights hovering above the trees, and I desperately wanted to locate that spot. On September 20th, 2001, at approximately 11.30 p.m., my wife was returning from Portland to the coast. She stopped at the rest area on Highway 26, which I believe is at about the 27-mile marker, to let our dog out. While there, she heard what she described as an eerie scream coming from the southeast and lasting about four or five seconds. She said that it was far enough away that it didn't scare her. As described, the scream would have come from across Highway 26 and in an area where there has been some activity. See reports under Clatsop County. I played the recordings on this website for her, and she said it sounded like Matt Moneymaker's Ohio recorded scream. Growing up in the mountains of North Georgia, camping and hiking were things me and my brother did so often it was second nature. So, anytime Ryan and I had a break from school, we would head straight for the woods. We packed our gear, let our parents know where we were going, and that was that. No questions asked. We decided to camp about midways through Jack's River Trail in the Cohutta Wilderness, and it's a trail we knew fairly well, as we had used to a few times before to practice long hikes. We arrived at the trail head around lunchtime, parked the car, got our gear out, and headed into the woods. We passed a few hikers as moved along and asked them how the trail looked, and the answer was always the same. Wet, 
Jack's River Trail probably crossed the river 50 times as it went along its 17-mile-plus journey and with the colder temperatures of late fall settling in it, was harder for the trail to stay dry. We moved deeper into the trail and started to look for a place to make camp. This is where Ryan and I made our first mistake. You see, Ryan and I have this rule. We don't camp near people, if at all possible. Call us paranoid, but the last thing we want is for someone to drag us out of our tents and into the woods, never to be seen again. So we always camped a pretty decent ways off of the trail and in the area that wasn't popular with overnight camping. Roughly two and a half hours or so, we found what we thought was the perfect place to set up for the two nights that we would be out. We came up to Horseshoe Bend and ventured about half a mile off the trail into a clearing and set up. We built teepee fire lay for that night and pitched our tents on either side. After setting up and unloading, we decided to walk back to the trail and go exploring around some of many swimming holes Jack's River had to offer. This was during Thanksgiving break, and I remember being surprised at how few people were on the trail. Maybe it was the weather or the fact that this was early in the week, but there didn't seem to be anyone hiking much, less staying the night. Around five o'clock, Ryan and I headed back to camp to start our fire, make dinner, and settle in for the night. As soon as the sun began to set the cold rushed in, we added more wood to the fire, sat close, and just enjoyed conversation. Ryan was two years behind me in school. I was a senior and he was a sophomore, but growing up we had always been close. We always hung out in the same groups, played the same sports, had the same hobbies, etc. Around nine we were settled comfortably around the fire. I had just texted our mom to let her know we were safe and getting ready for bed, and I remember we were talking about dreading going to our grandparents' house for Thanksgiving and having the same awkward conversations we had each year with family. We only saw on holidays when things started to get strange. We were no stranger to sounds in the woods, and these woods were full of animals, from deer to black bears and even the random wild boar. If you are in the woods enough, you learn to distinguish certain sounds, and what we were hearing I can only chalk up to as odd. What Ryan and I heard was what sounded like someone sneaking around slowly just out of eyesight with an animal walking on four legs you hear a tighter group of steps but what we were hearing sound very distinct to what a human sounds like when walking slowly or trying to move without making much sound i remember we both pulled out our flashlights and shone it in the direction we felt the sounds were coming from but that is what was so weird whenever we would fix our lights on a spot we thought the sound were coming from the location of the sound would suddenly change. It was as if there were multiple people walking around us. That's when the whistling started. At first I thought it was the wind, and I remember thinking maybe the wind is just throwing leaves around, and what we are hearing is nothing but the wilderness around us. Ryan looked at me and asked if I was hearing that. I didn't answer and was trying to focus hard on each individual sound. Two consecutive notes with roughly a three to four second gap and then two more consecutive notes over and over again. Ryan kept asking if I heard that and I put my finger to my lips trying to keep him from talking. The fear I felt was incredible. My jaw was tight. My fist clenched knowing I wasn't ready for whatever was out there or if it was anything at all. The whistling continued for what felt like forever, but thinking it through was maybe five minutes when Ryan finally yelled out into the darkness. Hey, quiet. 
The whistling stopped. The crunching of the woods stopped. Nothing. I was pissed. I looked at Ryan with a what-the-hell look, and he shrugged his shoulders. I had to do something, he said. I just shook my head. We sat there in silence for a few minutes when the woods erupted with noise. Something or someone was running in a circle around our campsite. The whistling came back. Two consecutive notes with the same three to four second gap, and then two more consecutive notes. How could someone whistle this loudly without cracking while also running? I was done. I stood up, shining my flashlight in all directions, trying to catch a glimpse of whatever was screwing with us. Nothing. It felt close enough to touch, but we never saw a thing. That's when the movement stopped, but the whistling was still constant. It was so loud, inhumanly loud. I looked at Ryan and told him to call the police. Now, this is the part I will never forget. The part I never like to talk about. While Ryan was on the phone with the dispatcher and telling them our location and what was going on, I stepped around the fire towards my tent. Inside my bag, I had a six-inch fixed blade that I always carried and thought I would feel a bit more comfortable with it in my hand, more than just my flashlight. As I went to unzip my tent, trying to keep my eyes toward the woods, I heard some movement directly in front of me. I swept my light up in front of me, and for maybe two seconds I saw it. Whatever this person or thing was, it was about five feet up in a tree. Everything about it was long. Its arms, legs, neck, fingers, everything. And it was fast. As soon as the light hit, it launched backwards off of the tree. I heard it land, but it either jumped an impossible distance or landed in a thicket because I heard it but never saw. I don't think I have ever yelled so loud. I ran back to where Ryan was and sat down. He kept asking me what I saw, but I couldn't answer. I just kept thinking about what I saw. Maybe ten minutes later, we saw a couple of flashlight beams coming through the woods, and about three guys came into view asking if everything was okay. I settled a bit and started asking them if they had seen or heard anything. All they said was they heard a lot of movement, and then heard my scream, and that's when they headed in our direction. I tried to explain what had happened without sounding crazy, but it didn't seem to work. One of the guys walked around a bit and came back and said he didn't see anything. Ryan told them that we called the police, and roughly 30 minutes later, a park ranger showed up. Ryan and I tried explaining everything to him, but he just chalked it up to either a curious animal or some campers trying to mess with us. By the way, Ryan and I decided we weren't staying the night. We packed our stuff up and walked out of the woods with the ranger. He took our stickman, and we got in our car and drove home. Ryan and I don't talk about what happened that night, but neither of us have been back to Jack's River Trail and will probably never go back. This happened to me and a group of friends during the summer of 2019. I'm not a great writer and my memory of the events might be hazy, so I don't know if I can do this story justice. Because it was actually pretty terrifying for me, at least. Also, I don't know if this is even paranormal, but I've never had an experience like this before in my life, and it's made me reconsider what I think when I hear other people's experiences and stories as I never used to believe. Last year, I started hanging out with a few friends I went to high school with, playing Smash, eating pizza and the like. We usually would get together around 10.30 p.m., as most of us work during the day because we don't have classes during the summer. One night, we decided to go to the nearby park, probably around midnight, to run around and whatnot as teenagers do. 
They told me that sometimes they would see what they thought was a homeless guy hanging around the park or in the woods around the park, but they never got too close to him. They would jokingly refer to him as the sludge walker, because that's the sound the wet ground would make when walking around in the park at night. The first time I go with two other people, I'll call them Mark and John. Mark is my close friend who I've known for a long time, and the only one I was really familiar with in this group. He knows I'm kind of afraid of the dark and jokes about how creepy the sludge walker is. At this point, I have no reason to be afraid, so I laugh it off as him, screwing with me. We get to the park and sit at the pavilion, run around the soccer fields, talk shit. Eventually, we run around the woods and meet back at the pavilion. After a couple minutes, Mark flips and tells us to start running. We do so, thinking the cops are coming as they sometimes patrol the park at night. When we're out of the park, Mark says he saw something coming out of the woods, and it looked like a really tall dude. I call BS and think he's just screwing with me and trying to give us a cool story to tell the rest of the friends in that group. Fast forward a few weeks or so. They convince me to go back to the park. This time we intend to look for the sludge walker and see who or what it is. This time there are four of us and we split into two groups. We decide to go Mark and John, Paul and I. Paul was like me in that neither of us used to believe in the paranormal or cryptids or anything like that. We are walking onto a path in the woods that surrounds the park and we hear a few twigs snap. I say that it's probably deer or some shit and we continue on. All of a sudden something drops down from the tree canopy and scares the shit out of us. It was bat, go figure. But as we continue into the woods farther, Paul stops me and says to listen. We hear some leaves rustling behind us, and I reach to get my flashlight out. I don't see what's in front of us, but Paul does. As I'm fumbling with my phone trying to get the flashlight, Paul hits the deck, so I do as well. Then we hear something running up the path away from us. The footsteps were fast and sounded very heavy. I'm freaking out at this point because I thought we were going to get mugged by some guy who was catching some Z's in the woods. It doesn't come back, and we call the other group of people and hightail it out of the park. Paul says he saw the thing, and it looked really tall with a hunched back and really long fingers. Again, I call best because that's every scary monster trap mixed into one, and I brush it off as a homeless guy again. A few days later, and we're all hanging out again. They say we should go back into the woods and check it out again. I disagree because I don't want to come across homeless guy again. Again, I give in to peer pressure and my own curiosity and end up going with them. This time we all stick together and are making our way through the woods and we hear it. As if from every creature horror movie you've ever seen, everything is dead silent when suddenly this screeching erupts from the path behind us and we all book it as fast as we can out into the open. We are all freaked out, but Mark and John decide to run back into the woods and get a recording of this thing. They took a video even though it was dark and you can't see anything. But you sure can't eat it. I'm freaked out and none of us can figure out what this is. My sister hypothesized that it could be a fox screaming as they make a sound kind of like that. But we think this sound is polyphonic. Two pitches at once. So we're all stumped. You know the drill by now, Mark. John and I are hanging out again and it's raining. I want to go back this time as I want to get to the bottom of this. Finally, the rain lets up at about 3 a.m., and we suit up for a muddy trek and head out. Probably the worst mistake I could make is what happened next. 
I still can't wrap my head around, and I still can't sleep in complete darkness. We're in the park, and almost immediately we see someone very tall walking out from under the pavilion. Eee, it's coming right as us as the light from the pavilion illuminates the figure walking at us. We run behind some tall bushes as I speculate it could be a cop park ranger coming to bust us for trespassing. We decide to take a peek and creep along the edge of these tall bushes. When we round the corner, we see it, standing fully upright just a few feet in front of us. I didn't really get a good look at it, but I saw really long fingers and some sort of cloth draped across its body, and it was at least seven feet tall. We all start running and me being a total wuss, start actually screaming. I don't think I've ever ran faster in my entire life. I looked back a few times to see if it was following us and it was just walking along the bush line. I also noticed that it had multiple glowing eyes that were glowing a faint red color, which was the only way I could tell where it was. My adrenaline was going so hard I couldn't tell if it was making noise or not. I've never gone back and I don't intend to. I sometimes think that it was a homeless guy or someone who lives by the park screwing with us because I don't really believe in the paranormal, but this is something I really can't explain any other way. Mark theorized that it could be a skinwalker or a wendigo from urban legends. When I do tell people about this, I usually leave out the part about the glowing eyes, as it just sounds stupid and crazy, but that's the part that keeps me from believing that it's just some guy. Everyone wants to have a weird or paranormal experience, but when you actually do, it sticks with you and can really mess with your head in the long term. And in my case, makes a 20-year-old sleep with a night light. If you actually read this and you have any questions, feel free to ask in the comments. This is my first Reddit post. So I'll do my best to get back to you. This is going to sound totally unbelievable, but I swear I saw something like a flying monkey last night. I was driving on a neighborhood street, and this strange animal was on the roadway. I could see its head, and it looked like a monkey to me, but it was small like the size of a prairie dog or gopher. I kept saying, What is that? I drove around it as it would not move, possibly dazed by my headlights. My friend thought it was a possum until we hassed it, and we both said that wasn't a possum. I quickly turned around, and all I saw were huge wings way too big for that animal, flying away. Now, obviously, I said, that had to be an owl or whatever it was just got snatched up by a giant owl. The problem is that this thing had a head and a neck, and it was standing on two feet, leaning forward, staring right at the car, and didn't move. I am so confused as to what I saw, even though I was so close to it. I mean, I see owls all the time, big ones, too. I know what they look like. That thing in the road, if it was an owl, was a mutant owl. Even if I admit it was probably an owl, its wings were still far too big for its size. I have no idea what I saw, but I swear it looked like a small monkey to me. I live in Florida, and although I live near Jacksonville, northeast Florida, and south Florida, there was a Walmart that had monkeys living in the parking lot due to owners letting them escape. So... It is possible that it was an escaped tiny monkey, although extremely unlikely. But wings, the whole thing was so confusing. 
I recently had an experience that I'm, I'm just not sure about. I tried explaining it to my sister, and I can't even put into words. Everything that happened, how I felt and everything, I feel I can share this here anonymously. Created this profile just to share this. I don't want people to think I'm crazy. I mean, I feel crazy when I discuss it, but I have to tell someone who might understand. So recently, I went on a bit of a road trip and visited a bunch of places in the Southwest, Utah and Colorado and Arizona and Southern California. I stopped at a park in Colorado that I hadn't initially planned on going to, but had never been to. A place well known for its Native American history, various different tribal affiliations over time. That was absolutely beautiful. Honestly, it was amazing and humbling to see the history of the people here. It made me realize that there was so much more about American history than the rather Eurocentric view of colonialism I was taught. Anyways, it was amazing. Given that this was November and very off-season, half the park was not accessible and attendance was minimal. There were other people, but overall, it was very quiet. I had been viewing some building ruins atop the mesa. One huge multi-room building, and not that far away another. Large building with a very large kiva in the middle, and on the southern side of building two was a solstice carving on the wall. I was walking around the smaller solstice building, as there was a couple walking around the large building, and I enjoyed the quietness of being alone. And when I went to the large building, they went to the solstice building, and then they left, and I was going back to the solstice building to get some more pics of the solstice marker. I was now alone. It's hard to describe exactly what I felt and how everything went down, but I'll try. It was a pretty nice day, temp in the upper fifties. I'm from the Midwest, and that still shorts weather to me. Some light small clouds, but not many. Pleasant breeze, and a few birds chirping away, and more than a few chipmunks all over. As I walked around the solstice building, everything became just still. Like the wind stopped, the animals went silent and disappeared. It was just weird. There was a large, darkish cloud that came kinda out of nowhere and just hung there. It was a weird heaviness all over. And there was this smell of, like, what I thought just a dead animal, like that sickly sweet smell of rotting meat. Assumed that there was like a dead deer or rabbit or something nearby that the wind had been blowing the smell away, but the wind was gone and everything was just, still and heavy, as I reached the solstice marker wall. I noticed that on top of the wall. Mind you, the walls are only too high or so. There was a pious of pottery. I swear that this pottery hadn't been there before, and it wasn't there in any of my first set of pictures looking back it was a large broken piece, but now that I think back, it was really clean. The blacks and whites very clear. I went and picked it up to get a closer look, and it really was beautiful. A kind of stair pattern, and then an angled set of lines. It was really pretty, but it felt weird. Oddly heavy for its size, and I wanted to keep it. I wanted to take it and just kept staring at it for what felt like God, it's so hard to describe how I felt, but time stood still and all I wanted was this pottery. Even now, thinking about it, I still get this weird-like, longing feeling for it. And as I held it, everything was just silent and heavy, and that smell was just so strong. But suddenly there was this huge raven out of nowhere. 
legit on the wall like five feet from me was the largest bird I've ever seen in the wild. This huge raven just cawed and flapped its wings and I kind of snapped back to reality. Honestly, this raven was bigger than a friggin' condor. Its body was easily three tall and its wingspan just massive. I put the pottery piece down on the wall, back where I picked it up from and just looked. This bird and the bird just looked back at me and I turned and walked away. Just like that, the dark clouds blew away and the wind returned and there were other birds chirping and the smell was gone. Actually, the smell all but vanished when the giant raven appeared. I got like ten feet away from where I had been standing, just around the corner of the solstice ruins, and I turned around to see the raven. They've always been beautifully intelligent birds to me, and it was gone. I didn't hear it flap its wings to fly away, and I didn't see anything in the sky. It was just gone. So was the piece of pottery no longer on the wall. I went back to my car and headed back to the visitor center. As besides being totally weirded out over what happened, it was getting late in the day, and I had a fair bit of driving to do to get to my next stop down in Arizona. I had a good 35-minute drive back to the park entrance to reflect on what had happened and how weird I felt. Honestly, I felt like I had downed a bunch of Benadryl. I was so foggy until the raven showed up. Even now, I just really can't explain everything I felt. When I got to the visitor center, I was the only person in the visitor center proper, besides the employees, and one guy was leaving as I entered. In the gift shop, I was getting a mug. I get a mug from each park I visit, and was talking to the park ranger and the cashier who was an older American Indian woman. She later told me her mother was Southern Paiute and her father Navajo, about how awesome the park was, how I wished I had learned about more of these cultures in school, etc., when I told them about the piece of pottery. I also said something like, Oh yeah, up at the Farview sites, there is a dead animal too. When the wind dies down, you can smell it in the park ranger. And the cashier kind of quickly looked at each other and then back to me. The cashier asked if the smell came before the pottery piece, and I said, Yeah, the wind stopped and the animals were all quiet and basically told them everything I said above. I didn't tell them how much I wanted to take the pottery home. I didn't want to sound crazy or admit to how much I wanted to steal an artifact from a national park. But I did tell them how heavy everything got, how silent and still and stuff, and they just looked at each other a few times and kept quiet, except when I told them how this huge-ass raven appeared, the cashier let out a little gasp. When I finished my story, they had a few questions about the timing of things. How long everything lasted, and in what order everything happened, and to describe the pottery and stuff, and all of a sudden the cashier asked, would you like some tea? I love tea, and was like, actually that sounds wonderful, thank you. And she went to get some hot tea. The ranger and I walked back towards the employee break room, down the hall past the artifact restoration exhibit, and she asked where I was from and what I knew about the area, and I told her how truly minimal I had known about the various native cultures, even those closer to my Midwestern home. When the cashier returned, she handed me a cup of sage tea, and she asked if I was honest about what happened. I was really confused and said, yeah, and she told me to drink. The tea tasted kind of like a no-salt vegetable stock. 
I wish I had some honey and lemon. But the lemon probably would have made it taste like chicken stock then, ha ha. And they told me about what they think I had been near. Apparently, they hear a few different stories concerning skinwalker activity throughout the year, but none where someone sees the raven. And that's why they were telling me this. The cashier proceeded to tell me a bit about skinwalkers and how sometimes they curse objects to lure unsuspecting people in. She also said that the fact that the raven appeared and removed whatever enchantments I felt was very important, that someone greater than you was watching out for me at that moment, because even though skinwalkers can choose many different animal forms, even they would never appear as a raven, due to the spiritual importance of these birds. She said something about they carry messages from beyond our reality in their midnight wings, and if the raven appeared to me, they could share a certain information with me that they never share with anyone. She told me that the sage would help cleanse me of any remnants of the skinwalker's tricks and suggested I see a shaman. I'd already finished the cup of tea and was getting a little freaked out, but oddly felt a little more calm after hearing her speak, and thanked them and left. I tried not to run to my car, but walked very quickly to my car and left. That night and a night or two later I had some very vivid dreams, but I can't remember anything of them, which is weird. I usually remember my dreams when I wake up, at least long enough to write them down, but these dreams, even though they woke me up, I couldn't remember. I don't really know what happened or if they were pulling my leg, but once I got home and really started looking into things, I kind of feel, I don't know. I feel like I'm crazy because I can't rationalize what happened. Even when writing this, I realize how insane this all sounds. And I still can't even fully describe how I felt, how weird everything got. It's just hard to put into words. But I had to share this with people who might understand, have their own insight.